call to order the September 5th, 2017 meeting, formal meeting of the Iowa City City Council. Roll call. Botchway. Here. Cole. Here. Dickens. Here. Mims. Here. Taylor. Here. Thomas. Here. Throgmorton. Here. So uh, welcome to all of you. Welcome to your city hall. And I, I guess before I say anything else, I want to uh, acknowledge uh, the trauma that people in Houston have been going through and related areas. And also um, the people exposed to Hurricane Irma, including my niece, Laura Lynn, and her husband. So um, it can be very difficult um, for people in such circumstances. All right, item two, proclamations. I think somebody's here to accept each of these proclamations, <clears throat> so I am going to read each of them. The first has to do with Constitution Week. And to help myself, I'm going to take off my regular glasses. Okay, proclamation. Whereas September 17th, 2017 marks the 230th anniversary of the drafting of the Constitution of the United States of America by the Constitutional Convention. And whereas it is fitting and proper to officially recognize this magnificent document and the anniversary of its creation. And whereas Public Law 915 guarantees the issuing of a proclamation each year by the President of the United States of America, designating September 17th through the 23rd as Constitution Week. And whereas the Constitution has been amended from time to time to define basic rights to extend these rights to all persons and to modify other specific aspects in light of contemporary concerns. And whereas it is fitting and proper to officially recognize the patriotic celebrations which will commemorate the occasion. Now, therefore, I, James A. Throgmorton, mayor of the city of Iowa City, do hereby proclaim the week of September 17 through the 23rd, 2017, to be Constitution Week in Iowa City and reaffirm the ideals of the framers of the Constitution had in 1787 by protecting the freedoms guaranteed to us through this guardian of our liberties. I think uh, Kathy Pesley is here to accept the proclamation. Is that right, Kathy? Yes. Could you come up, please? On September 17, 1787, in Independence Hall in Philadelphia, the U.S. Constitution was signed fulfilling a promise that the Declaration of Independence had made 11 years prior. In 1955, to celebrate this great event, Constitution Week was initiated by the Daughters of the American Revolution, and it was officially declared by President Eisenhower in 1956. The members of Pilgrim Chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution are appreciative of the proclamation of September 17th through the 23rd as Constitution Week. Thank you, Mayor Throgmorton. The National Society of the Daughters of the American Revolution was founded in 1890 by four women, two Southern and two Northern. Their goal was to heal the terrible wounds still bleeding from the Civil War. Our founders believed that a call to a common bond 
our ancestors who fought together in the Revolutionary War to liberate us and found our country would be a unifying and healing process. Today, the objectives of the DAR are historic preservation, promotion of education, patriotic endeavor. Pilgrim Chapter was chartered in 1898 in Iowa City and has celebrated almost 120 years of service to the community. Membership is open to interested individuals who can trace their lineage to a revolutionary ancestor. Again, thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Okay, the next proclamation has to do with National Hispanic Heritage Month. Whereas National Hispanic Heritage Month, first recognized in 1968, begins September the 15th and ends October the 15th, and whereas seven Latin American countries, Chile, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Mexico, and Nicaragua, all achieved independence during the month of September, and whereas Iowa City's Hispanic and Latino Latina community consists of diverse peoples of Spanish culture and, culture and origin, and whereas this diverse community strengthens and enriches Iowa City through its presence. Now therefore, I, James A. Throgmorton, Mayor of the City of Iowa City, Iowa, do hereby proclaim September the 15th through October the 15th, 2017, to be National Hispanic Heritage Month and encourage residents to celebrate the many ways in which Iowa City is enhanced by its Hispanic and Latino Latina communities. Uh, Barbara Kutzko, I think, with the, could you come up, please? You, do you want to say anything? You don't have to. It's up to you. Good evening, everyone. I'm Barbara Kutzko, and I'm one of the commissioners on the Iowa City Human Rights Commission. And I just want to thank you for this proclamation, Mayor. Um, I want to encourage everyone in the room to celebrate, embrace, and cherish the diversity within our state, um, particularly now during this very tumultuous time within our country. Um, celebrate, let's learn to celebrate all immigrants. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Celebrating a little too early over there. <laughs> that was very exciting. Um, <laughs> let's celebrate each other, and, and I hope that you do plan to attend one or more of the events uh, that will be taking place um, around the, the city of Iowa City. Um, and let's learn to celebrate not only during the month, but throughout the year, one another. Thank you so much. Thank you, Barbara. <laughs> All right, and the third is Playvolution, September the 17th through the 29th. All right. No, no more balloons blowing up, mm. right? <laughs> <laughs> Whereas a play deficit exists in our society, is this a diagnosed uh, uh, ailment, play deficit. <laughs> Whereas a play deficit exists in our society, a very real decline in unstructured play which has critical implications for the health of our community. And whereas children's media usage has soared in the past two decades, with the average American child engaging in seven hours, 38 minutes of media use each day. And whereas play is critical in 
to children's healthy brain development and building active, active healthy bodies and whereas play allows children to use their creativity while developing their imagination, dexterity and physical, cognitive and emotional strength, and whereas unstructured play allows children to learn how to work in groups, to share, to negotiate, to resolve conflicts, and to learn self-advocacy skills, and whereas play helps children develop new competencies that lead to enhanced confidence and the resilience they will need to face future challenges, and whereas play is just as important for adults, especially in the workplace, keeping one functional under stress, refreshing the mind and body, triggering creativity and innovation, increasing energy, and helping to prevent burnout. And whereas play is so important to optimal child development that the United Nations High Commission for Human Rights has recognized it as a right of every child. And whereas, above all, play is a simple joy that is a cherished part of childhood. Now, therefore, I, James A. Throgmorton, Mayor of Iowa City, do hereby proclaim September the 27th through the 29th, 2017, a play evolution, and encourage all residents of all ages to support and promote the idea that unstructured, unplugged, unlimited play is a critical component of healthy development for community members of Iowa City. All right, Deb Dunkhazy. Yeah? Dunk Hayes, yeah. Mm -hmm. Come on up, Doug. Yep. Mm. We can invite you all to play. Yeah, so we should do a little clapping. Oh, great. Now you gotta hold it tight. Do not let go. That was my favorite color. Okay, you can have it, Terry, if you want. Oops, she let go. Okay, here we go. my cat. We got a little preview. Got it. Got it. Okay. There you go. Hold on to Wait the bottom. Minute. What's in the bags? Okay, you don't want to know. Yeah. Until we go. Thank you. Then you get to release it after I share it, okay? Okay, ready? Ready? One, two, three, four. Imagine, create, discover, explore. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Let the play of evolution begin! Uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. Cute. Excellent. Thank you. Yes. Actually, I have a proclamation, you know. Oh, good. <laughs> ben, do you want to grab that from Mayor Proudmore? Hmm. Could you just take this back to Deb? Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. We would like to thank you, Mayor Throgmorton, and the entire City Council for giving us the opportunity to come and launch our Playvolution here at your City Council meeting tonight. Right here in Johnson County, we are the only place in the United States that we are aware of that launches a Playvolution every year. This is our third year to do it. It's organized by both communities, Iowa City, Coralville, 
um, by the Parks and Rec, by the libraries, by Four Seas Community Coordinated Child Care, Simple Abundance Child Care, and the Iowa Children's Museum. We are offering a free calendar, a special Playvolution events from September 16th through the 29th. It starts on the 16th with the Iowa City Farmers Market Kids Day, where we'll be launching rockets, paper rockets, and doing all kinds of bubble play. On to Move It, Dig It, Do It at the Iowa Children's Museum on the 17th. There's a read-in at the Coralville Library. Lots of bubble play throughout the community at child care centers and retirement homes. We wanted the play to be intergenerational this year. We're doing a tailgating party for kids at Mercer Park on September 23rd, celebrating the golden birthday party of Morrison Park on September 24th, and it ends on the 29th with a Coralville Food Bank and Public Library Community Dinner and a STEM Family Free Night at the Iowa Children's Museum. We really appreciate this community's support of our Playvolution every year. Thank you. All right. Sorry about the balloons. Thanks to all of you. And we have our own Play-Doh now, <laughs> which I certainly will play with as soon as I get home. <laughs> Thanks for coming. It's great to see all of you again. Oh, what's this? Stuck on me. Take a break. All right. Uh, I don't know what's what's coming up next. I didn't get you can have my Yes, we uh, have special recognition tonight uh, for Mr. Boothroy. Doug Boothroy um, has been attending public meetings like this one for forty, almost forty-two years. Not quite forty-two years. And uh, at council's recommendation, a uh, great, uh, great thought it was. Uh, we had communications uh, put together a video. We asked them to take Doug's 42 years and condense it into a video of two minutes. So um, <laughs> they accepted that challenge and we'd play that for you tonight. What can we do about the light? It worked and then it didn't. Ooh, <laughs> Doug was a pioneer of technology, as you'll <laughs> see in this video, and uh, um, he could probably figure out this, uh, this, this task. Love that collar, Doug. <laughs> yeah, we'll just leave it frozen. <laughs> My time with the city has been an absolutely amazing experience. I came to the city fresh out of graduate school with textbook knowledge of planning, but not a practical world experience. And during those 42 years, I worked with such an amazing number of different people. What the comprehensive plan does is it's a, it's a community involvement process where we vision what we'd like to have the community look like, how to make it a better place to live, how to maintain what we have. When it comes to code enforcement, I've said that, that we're here as a resource uh, and we're here to uh, uh, help people accomplish their goals and succeed. We're not here to punish people. Now, I recognize that with code enforcement, there are going to be times where you have to uh, cite people and take them to court, but that's the, that should be the exception to the rule.
technology has streamlined our operations, has made us more effective in terms of managing information. We do our inspections in the field with iPads. Uh, we have uh, electronic submittal of plans, so people don't even have to come in to submit their plans. They can do it all over the internet. I'm most proud, I, I believe, of, of the staff that has come on board with me over the 42 years. They're very passionate about what they do, they are very committed to what they're doing, and their professionalism is exceptional. I really appreciate the fact that I had this opportunity to work with so many um, amazing people and to see the changes that we've envisioned over the last 42 years, to see it happen, to see uh, the community grow in a very positive way, uh, that's, been, that's been the thing I've, that I've appreciated most. Nice video, well done. Uh, so, uh, Doug, why don't you just stay there? I want to, until I finish this, I, I want to read a proclamation to you, and it gives me great pleasure to be able to do so. Uh, it'll take a while, which is maybe appropriate, because you're known for being pretty talkative. <laughs> <laughs> All right, City of Iowa City proclamation. Whereas Douglas W. Boothroy started his career as an assistant planner with the City of Iowa City on September 22, 1975, was promoted to planner program analyst one on January 22, 20, uh, sorry, January 22, 1979, and planner program analyst two on June 27, 1979, acting senior planner on March 1, 1980 and senior planner on March 1, 1981, and director of housing and inspection services on May 29, 1984. And whereas Doug became the city's first neighborhood and development services director on March 10, 2014, successfully merging the departments of housing and inspection services and planning and community development. And whereas Doug has worked diligently to increase affordable housing been a proponent of universal design standards and superior code enforcement, ensuring all residents have safe, accessible, and healthy housing. And whereas recognizing the value of economic development, neighborhood stabilization, and metropolitan transportation planning, Doug has also encouraged the use of technology to streamline development processes and improve effectiveness. And whereas Doug has supported achievements in environmental sustainability, assisting in the evaluation and analysis for Iowa City's Star Community Four Star Rating, as well as ensuring a voice for environmental projects throughout Iowa City. And whereas staff will truly miss his institutional knowledge, wisdom, decisiveness, wit, and smile, and whereas Doug shared his talents with the American Planning Association, serving as the Iowa Chapter President from 1990 to 1992, and as an APA Board Member from 1988 to 1994. And whereas, Iowa City would like to thank Doug Boothroy, Director Boothroy, and recognize his leadership, dedication, and commitment to housing and development services in Iowa and in the Iowa City community for over 42 years and wishes Doug 
Bonnie and their family health and happiness as they start the next chapter of their life. Now, therefore, I, James A. Throgmorton, mayor of the city of Iowa City, do hereby declare Tuesday, September 5, 2017, as Douglas W. Boothroy Day in Iowa City and acknowledge Director Boothroy's character and fortitude in making this community a better place in which to live. Doug, could you come up here? This means so much to me. It's uh, a little bit emotional uh, accepting this. Uh, it really is uh, a great way to cap uh, 42 years of uh, uh, working for the city of Iowa City, and um, uh, I'm going to remember this moment for a long time. Um, so I do want to thank you all for this. Uh, as it was mentioned in the video, uh, it's just been an amazing uh, 42 years for me. Uh, when you uh, have the opportunity to uh, do a job that you love and you know uh, each day when you come uh, that you have also uh, the opportunity to make a difference, uh, what could be more fun? And so, uh, you know, it was a difficult decision. Uh, to uh, say goodbye after 42 years to end this particular chapter of my life. Uh, but it was the right decision. Uh, it's something I, I am looking forward to doing in terms of uh, being able to step back, uh, change my uh, pattern and routines in life, uh, take the time to appreciate things around me, uh, uh, my family, uh, new adventures that, that uh, I want to take on. So I am looking forward to that very much. I wouldn't have had this 42 years of experience uh, with the city if it wasn't for um, Bonnie, uh, her support uh, and encouragement over the years. Uh, I um, had to quit my job as a teacher to go back to uh, graduate school in 1974 uh, to get my master's degree. That was taking a, a risk uh, because I wasn't sure I could get employed. Uh, it turned out that as soon as I got my master's degree, the city of Iowa City offered me a job. So everything just you know, kind of happened, uh, and, and the rest of it is history. Uh, but over the years, uh, as I've worked with so many uh, wonderful people, uh, and I've spent you know, thousands of hours, it seems like, in this building, uh, but I've worked with, uh, uh, I've had great colleagues, I've had, uh, you know, uh, the public, uh, planning and zoning commissions, uh, board of adjustments, uh, um, city councils, uh, many mayors, uh, many city managers, uh, and it's been both professionally and personally um, uh, uh, enriching and a, a, a process that I, I'll cherish for the rest of my life. And we've had many successes uh, that is due to all that collaboration and all that uh, uh, opportunity to work with these talented people to bring things to 
uh, to make a difference in this community. Uh, as I think about the future uh, for uh, this area, I know that you all have um, some uh, uh, things to think about with regard to neighborhood stabilization, and, and I feel uh, that uh, I'm glad I was along, around here long enough to have some input in that process, and I know that uh, the recommendations that a city manager and staff are, are going to present to you uh, later in the month are, are going to do a really good job. I'm really pleased to see uh, that I think it's going to uh, really help uh, and maybe improve uh, some of the issues with regard to stabilization. So I I'm, I'm really think that's a very positive step forward. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to miss everybody uh, as I uh, leave. Um, and it's going to be a transition, uh, uh, but I wish you all uh, the success in the future, and thank you for this proclamation. Thanks, Doug. You will be missed. All right, but we do have a meeting to go on with. Item three, consider adoption of the consent calendar as presented or amended. So moved. Second. Second. Moved by Mem, seconded by Taylor. Discussion? Hearing none, roll call, please. Boshway? Yes. Cole? Yes. Dickens? Yes. Mims? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Throgmorton? Yes. Thomas? Sorry. Yes. Motion carries 7-0. Could I have a motion to accept correspondence for item 3E1, please? So moved. Second. Moved by Dickens, seconded by Thomas. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Aye. Uh, sorry, sorry, Kingsley. Uh, all, um, uh, motion carries. Item four, community comment. This is for uh, 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 items that are not, do not appear on the formal meeting agenda. So if anybody would like to speak with regard to any item that's not on the formal meeting agenda, please step forward and, and say your piece. Uh, please state your name and take not more than five minutes, please. Good evening. I'm um, Carol Logson, Community and Access Services Coordinator at Iowa City Public Library. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about bookmobile services. Um, I know that you uh, read the memo that was in um, your packet earlier, but I wanted to thank you for the opportunity to give an update about the bookmobile services which started this past June. As you know, we're a city of literature and we value our stories. And once the bookmobile hit the streets, we started hearing lots of wonderful stories about how the bookmobile was making a big difference in our community. During the summer schedule, our stories in the park programs were happy places with many cheerful stories. Mondays at Willow Creek, Wednesdays at Weatherby, and that wasn't added. We didn't used to do stories in the park at Weatherby, so that was a new location this summer. And then Fridays at Mercer Park. Each bookmobile visit was complemented by a story time. There were um, games that were led by Iowa City Parks and Recreation staff. Uh, the program generated 1,186 people counted at the programs, 1,318 bookmobile visits, and 1,958 checkouts. That was just at Stories in the Park programs. What's my favorite story? 
Um, at the end of the summer, I had to say goodbye to two of my friends that would come and see me at Mercer Park on Friday mornings. And um, I promised them a postcard, so I sent them a postcard. And I just saw their dad in the library a week ago Sunday, and he said they're working on sending a postcard back to me. So two new friends that I made. Um, another of my favorite stories, Mark Falk, who's a music professor at Coe College, he wrote the most wonderful story about the bookmobile. And he played it at the Stories in the Park programs one week. And if you haven't heard it, you can see it on YouTube, or I wrote a blog post about it. Um, but a warning, the song will get in your head, and it might not get out maybe for even a week or two. And I do have to admit that when I drive the bookmobile, I sing the song because it's just such a happy song. I won't sing it for you tonight, though. Um, I've had telephone calls from Legacy Assisted Living. We love the bookmobile, bring more large print. Um, and there's no reward better than seeing the difference you make for someone by connecting them to access to library materials. We've had moms that don't speak English who bring their children to the bookmobile because they want materials for their children so they can work on their skills in the summertime. We've seen kids who come to the bookmobile for air conditioning. They want a respite from the heat that they don't have in their home. So they hang out in the bookmobile, they play games, and they check out books too. Uh, we hosted a group of people from a group home who visited the bookmobile. And um, I would not be honest if I didn't admit that there were many tears when we saw the first wheelchair go up the lift and the person wheel up to the shelves and start browsing the books. Um, on Thursday, we were at Mercer Park. We go to Mercer Park now um, Thursday mornings to coincide with tot time. And then there's also a swim program for people um, maybe over age 50 or so, where there were lots of people coming by the bookmobile, and the Parks and Rec staff had us just back up to the front door, so everybody going into Mercer Park had to walk by the bookmobile. There's a group um, from Reach for Your Potential that stopped by, and they were kind of peeking in the door asking questions, and we said, well, come on back, and then we said, we have a wheelchair lift, and they said, you have a lift? We said, yeah, and they said, well, we will definitely be back. So then all of their um, members could participate in bookmobile services. Um, there were many tears of joy and happy stories when we saw what a difference the bookmobile is making in our community each week. Um, the fall schedule started last week. We're out four days a week, Monday through Thursday. It hi uh, the highlights include 17 weekly stops, rotating Wednesday mornings at Iowa City preschools, and four new stop locations. Monday features um, a stop at Grantwood Elementary during their English language learning class that they're offering. Last week we had a lot of kids come and check out items. We're hoping that they bring their parents back in the future. Um, as I said, Thursday mornings we're um, at tot time at Mercer. And in a very short time, we've generated a lot of new stories. At Emerson Point last week on Shannon Drive, one of our staff members reported, I lost track of how much I used the wheelchair lift at Emerson. Tons. Such happy and excited people. Many new library cards for people who hadn't used their cards in ages. From Oak Knoll, the story was, it's like a party at Oak Knoll. Ten folks on right now, lots of materials get, getting checked out, and many happy people. And from Waterfront Hy-Vee, a patron got on the bookmobile and said, wow, I just came to get a salad, and I found the bookmobile. 
So we partnered with Antelope Lending Library and the National Bookmobile Day celebration in April. In the summer, when their items were returned to us, we returned it to their house. If our items were returned to them, they put it in the East Side book drop so the materials came back to us and we certainly appreciated that collaboration. Um, we coordinated our summer schedules to assure that we weren't in the same place at the same time. And we recently learned they're extending their schedule beyond the summer too. We look forward to future collaborations with them. We also look forward to more stories from the road. I want to express to you how grateful we are for um, the many stories that you made possible by bringing bookmobile services from the Iowa City Public Library to our community. Thank you. Do you have any questions? It seems like a terrific success so far. It's wonderful. It Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent memo too. We, we mentioned that during the work session. Yeah. Anyone else? Okay, seeing no one, we'll move to item five, uh, which is planning and zoning matters. Item 5A, rezoning, riverfront crossings, Prentice Street. This is an ordinance rezoning 2,500 square feet of property from planned high density multifamily residential, PRM zone to Riverfront Crossings, Central Crossings, RFCCX zone for property located at 114 East Prentice Street. This is second consideration, but the applicant requests expedited action. Before we get into this, uh, does anybody need to make any ex parte uh, disclosures? Me neither. Okay, uh, could I have a motion to waive, uh, sorry, to waive giving second consideration? I move that the rule requiring the ordinances must be considered and voted on for passage at two council meetings prior to the meeting at which it is to be finally passed be suspended, that the second consideration and vote be waived, and that the ordinance be voted on for final passage at this time. Second. Second. Moved by Mem, seconded by uh, Dickens. Discussion. Uh, I can say I don't see anything problematic with this given uh, the, the uh, particular rezoning involved. Further discussion? Roll call, please. Cole? Yes. Dickens? Yes. Mims? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? Yes. Botchway? Yes. Motion carries 7-0. Move final adoption at this time. Second. Moved by Mims, seconded by Dickens. Discussion? Hearing none, roll call. Dickens? Yes. Mims? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? Yes. Botchway? Yes. Cole? Yes. Motion carries 7-0. Could I have a motion to accept correspondence, please? So moved. Second. Moved by Thomas, seconded by Dickens. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Aye. Motion carries. Uh, sorry, Kingsley, I've, I've got to get my timing a little bit uh, more There's a three-second delay. Yeah. Item 5B, rezoning historic landmark designation for Unitarian Universalist Church. This is an ordinance rezoning approximately 0 0.20 acres of property from central business support, CB5, to central business support with a, as an historic preservation overlay, CB5 slash OHP zone, located at 10 South Gilbert Street. This is second consideration. Again, uh, are there any ex parte disclosures? No. Me neither. Could I have a motion, please? Move second consideration. Second. Moved by Mims, was that you, Terry? Yep. Moved by Mims, seconded by Dickens. Discussion? Hearing none, roll call, please. Mims? 
Yes. Taylor. Yes. Thomas. Yes. Throgmorton. Yes. Bachway. Yes. Cole. Yes. Dickens. Yes. Motion carries seven to zero. Item five C: Rezoning Country Club Estates, Rarit Road, west of Lakeshore Drive. This is an ordinance conditionally rezoning approximately 21.77 acres of property located north of Rarit Road and west of Lakeshore Drive from rural residential RR1, that's 4.16 acres, and interim development single-family residential IDRS, that's 17.61 acres, to low-density single-family residential RS5 zone, and this is second consideration. Does anybody need to make ex parte disclosures? Okay, could I have a motion, please? So moved. Second. Moved by Dickens, seconded by Mims. Discussion? I'll probably be voting in favor of this. I was initially a little leery of the size of the development with 80 homes uh, in that part of town uh, and the um, possible increase in traffic as far as near the school zone and some of the concerns from that came out of the Good Neighbor Meeting and the Homeowners Association, but I, I think a lot of those items have been addressed, so mm -hmm. I will probably still vote in favor of it then. Okay. That's in your district, isn't it, Paul? Yes, and it yeah. is my district, okay. yes. Uh, any further discussion? Hearing none, roll call, please. Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? Yes. Botchway? Yes. Cole? Yes. Dickens? Yes. Mims? Yes. Motion carries 7 to 0. Could I have a motion to accept correspondence? So moved. Second. Moved by Dickens, seconded by Thomas. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Aye. Motion carries. Item 5D, Lovick, first edition. This is a resolution approving the extraterritorial preliminary plat of Lovick, first subdivision, Johnson County, Iowa. Could I have a motion to approve, please? So I think we should do that first, right? We do the, yeah, could I have a motion, Susan? Yep. Second. Second by Dickens, discussion. John Yev. Mayor, members of council, uh, this property uh, is located just west of the uh, Churchill subdivision and it borders the city limits on the east side of the property. Um, the property to the west is unincorporated Johnson County and then to the west of that is Old Town Village uh, to give you some context. Uh, the property is within the fringe area uh, and is, it is within the growth area uh, and therefore the city and Johnson County both need to approve uh, a subdivision request. Uh, this is an image of the existing uh, house on the property. Uh, there's currently one house. Uh, and this is the proposed subdivision, and I'll walk you through it. Uh, Herbert Hoover Highway is on the north. Uh, the existing house would be on the new lot one. And what is proposed is a second lot, a uh, residential lot, just to the south of lot one uh, for a second house. Uh, the property was recently rezoned from commercial uh, to residential in Johnson County. Uh, as part of that process, uh, the city and, and the county agreed one additional lot would be reasonable. Uh, but with any further development and with any annexation of adjacent properties, uh, it would be appropriate at that time to annex the property uh, into Iowa City. With, with the one lot, it is still uh, set up to extend a grindstone lane to the west across the property, providing an east-west connection. Uh, 
the existing house and the uh, new structure would be on private wells and sewers, uh, septic system, uh, but upon annexation would be required to connect to city water and sewer. Uh, staff recommends approval and the Planning and Zoning Commission recommended approval. So John, on first glance, this looks like an inappropriate transition between Churchill Hill Estates and uh, the uh, Old Town Village area. Uh, and, you know, because you have a certain kind of subdivision immediately to the east, and then the uh, neighborhood commercial development almost literally immediately to the west. Uh, so instead of one building, there are going to be two buildings. It seems like an inappropriate transition. So, well, the property is zoned. The property is zoned residential in Johnson County. Uh, it does meet the county subdivision standards. Uh, and it is allows for the future extension of infrastructure across the property. Uh, I think what is different between what is proposed here and the adjacent uh, Churchill Meadows subdivision is these are larger lots than what is immediately to the east. So the property immediately to the west is still in the county, correct? That's, that's correct. And what is that currently zoned? I believe that's also residential. Yeah, I mean, I'll support. It's gone through the county. It's gone through, you know, the other processes. Yeah, the lots aren't the same size, but at least it's residential. And if the one to the west of it's also residential, then actually, in a way, it's a better transition to that commercial in that you don't have a lot of high-density housing butting up against the commercial. You've got people who, you know, have the larger lots. They've got that space. Um, I don't know if what's to the west of that would ever, you know, be sub try to be subdivided or not. It looks like that house sits pretty far back from the road as it is. There is one home next to that, to the west, which is the Jensen house, because that was Paul Boyd's original home. It's right by the driveway where you go oh, in. Right that's here. the Jensen house. That will, that will stay there. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to stay there. For the foreseeable time. future. Okay. Yeah. Jim, are you feeling like there should be greater density at that location? Is that what you're getting at? Uh, I, I, th I think it would be much more appropriate for townhouses, row houses, et cetera, to be located near the neighborhood commercial uh, uh, development and then phase down to single-family detached, et cetera, in Churchill Hill Estates. Uh, I'm just thinking about this as a land development, urban planning kind of thing. It, and it, it just seems to me to be... Uh, uh, um, ultimately an unwise use of land. I'm not trying to persuade anybody else about this. I'm just stating my view in terms of how I understand these things. And I hear what you're saying. I, I think the challenge that we always have is from a, you know, from our perspective, what might be the best use of land, but also recognizing within the rules that are in place for people to do what they want with their own property. I realize that's not a, an absolute right by any means. But it, what's interesting is oftentimes what we're trying to do is decrease density. You know, if there's, there's too much density, you know, next to a commercial or, or type site. And here, this, isn't, this is not even immediately adjacent to the commercial. We've, we've still got that one property or, you know, in between that it appeared there was a house on that sits back quite a ways, and that mm -hmm. could sit that way for 
20, 30, 40 years, too. Certainly so could. Yeah. I guess I would also point out this is, the property is in un unincorporated Johnson County currently. Uh, but we, uh, um, we do have the legal right to vote yay or nay on the rezoning, is that correct? Uh, subdivision. I'm sorry, subdivision. Subdivision, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, would, uh, but we're considering the rezoning tonight. No, I'm no, sorry. No, this is the subdivision. I see right, sub I was looking yeah, at the wrong uh, item. Subdivision. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I think we should just vote um, unless other people have strong views you want to express and uh, let it proceed. So, any further discussion? Hearing none, roll call, please. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? No. Botchway? Yes. Cole? Yes. Dickens? Yes. Mims? Yes. Taylor? Yes. <clears throat> Motion carries six to one. Throgmorton in the negative. Item six, fiscal year 2018 budget amendment. This, uh, this, this city uh, budget amendment and certification resolution. That's what we're talking about here. I'm going to open the public hearing if I can find my mallet. Uh, would anybody like to address this? Dennis, did you plan to, sp or did you plan to speak anybody? All right, you don't have to. I was just wondering if you, you wanted to. Anybody else want to address this topic? Hearing no one, I'll close the public hearing. Move to resolution. Second. Moved by Dickens, sec uh, seconded by Thomas. Discussion? Hearing none, roll call, please. Throgmorton? Yes. Botchway? Yes. Cole? Yes. Dickens? Yes. Mims? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Motion carries 7 to 0. <clears throat> Item 7, alcohol in parks. This is an ordinance amending Title IV entitled Alcoholic Beverages and Title X entitled Public Ways and Property to allow alcohol in park shelters. This is pass and adopt and staff but staff request indefinite deferral. Could I have a motion for indefinite deferral, please? So moved. Second. Moved by Mems, seconded by Dickens. Uh, discussion. Uh, I wonder if uh, anyone would uh, like to state, Simon, I know you and I were both present at the, uh, the Partnership for Alcohol Safety meeting. Do you feel free to briefly state what we heard at that particular meeting? Absolutely. <clears throat> Um, there wasn't a, a clear consensus from the group. Um, probably, I'd say about 10 people spoke up, a uh, majority of whom were uncomfortable uh, moving in this uh, direction. Uh, a lot of it just had to do with uh, the mixed messages that they thought that this may send to the student uh, community and to the university community. Um, not any, uh, I wouldn't characterize it as strong opposition, and please stop me if you had a different perspective of what was said, but. Uh, just a discomfort uh, with it, and given that it's such an important stakeholder group that's put together specifically to look at issues such as this, you know, we didn't see any strong reason to move forward in the face of that uh, type of discomfort from that group. So uh, staff is recommending that we uh, defer the third reading of this indefinitely. Good. Thank you. I, I guess I'll elaborate briefly. Uh, I'm going to quote from an email I received from the staff person, uh, um, the staff liaison or whatever uh, for the partnership uh, for alcohol safety. Uh, and in it, she writes, I wanted to follow up with you regarding the ordinance change discussion we had at PAS. I believe there were many valid concerns regarding the allowance of alcohol in the rental shelters of, this, of city parks. 
And from the university aspect, it could send a conflicting message. It may not seem like a big issue to most, but over the last several years, there has been a tendency to relax alcohol policies rather than tighten them. We believe this is an important decision that could have unintended consequences and wonder if there's any benefit to delaying the third vote and so on. So uh, that's why uh, we're at this moment where we're recommending um, indefinite deferral. So uh, would anybody like to discuss this topic? Anybody in the audience or council members? Yes, ma'am, please. Please state your name. Hi, I'm Judy Fole. I'm neighborhood president from Tainakai. Nice to see you. Hi. Just a second. So I stick this on here. Okay. It's been a while since I've been up here. Mm. <laughs> I actually have been neighborhood president since we started a neighborhood when the Danes sold the uh, farmland and became Kiwanis Park area and Tag and all the other. Anyway. Um, the idea of the neighborhood stabilization. Uh, we have a lot of concern with the neighbors about this. Um, I have signatures. I just started I, Sunday afternoon, but I've got 35 signatures here um, from neighbors who are concerned that we need to maintain the separation of requests for shelter and the separation of uh, alcohol use. Um, for maybe some of the bigger areas where you've got more space around between where a shelter is and where homes are, um, maybe it doesn't bother, won't bother them to have potentially um, kegger parties. <laughs> or anyway, uh, um, loud parties. We have had some trouble in the past with um, some other things going on periodically at the park that they've had to, to address. And we think this would just be adding more um, potential for problems for neighborhood parks. Do I Thank you, Judy. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, I'm Rachel Zimmerman Smith, and I live on the other side of Willow Creek Park in the Pennybrin neighborhood on Tag Drive. And uh, my neighborhood shares uh, Judy's concerns. Um, I guess if it's not broke, don't fix it. <laughs> uh, this is um, not broke, so don't fix it. I don't see any public outcry for this, really. I haven't, I was surprised to see it in the paper, and I thank the Gazette for publishing an article on it because it alerted me and Judy to this. Um, and no one that I spoke to in my neighborhood, and I did speak to a lot of people, supported it. The park is a nice, safe place for kids to go by themselves. Um, most of them are right next to neighborhoods, and there's plenty of places to drink in Iowa City. I think True Blood allows for um, permits to have alcohols in that, in that shelter. So there's no, shor no shortage of places for people to have parties with alcohol here. So we agree with the staff recommendation and hope that you follow it. Thanks. Great. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay. Council discussion? Hearing none, roll call, please. This is on a motion for indefinite deferral. Botchway? Yes. Cole? Yes. Dickens? Yes. Mims? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? Yes. Motion carries 7 to 0. Could I have a motion to accept correspondence, please? So moved. 
second. Moved by Dickens, seconded by Mems. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Aye. <laughs> I did it again, Kingsley. <laughs> Got to give you uh, three seconds. That's how much time I need, right? Three seconds? Yep. Item 8, under 21, amendment for shout. Ordinance amending Title IV, Alcoholic Beverages, Chapter 5, Prohibitions and Restrictions, Section 8, Persons under the legal age in licensed or permitted establishments, Subsection C, referencing the city's under 21 law, adding an exception for those working with a law enforcement agency. This is first consideration. Move first consideration. Second. Second. Moved by man, seconded by Taylor. Discussion? This is um, a, a, what I would consider a fairly routine item, uh, just to clarify that uh, um, individuals that are assisting law enforcement uh, can enter the, the premises um, uh, of a, of a uh, drinking establishment. Um, it was prompted by the University of Iowa Department of Public Safety's new program, SHOUT, which stands for uh, Students Helping Out. Um, this is a, a new initiative, uh, it's a collaboration that's operated by the UI Department of Public Safety, but uh, certainly in collaboration with um, Iowa City Police and uh, the Iowa City Downtown District as well. Um, and generally speaking, those are um, student ambassadors um, that have training on bystander intervention and can help assist uh, people that need assistance with a variety of things, including getting safe rides home in the evenings. I can tell you um, the report I got back from the police department after this weekend is that the um, student ambassadors, the shout uh, staff were very helpful to them as they worked the, the downtown crowd after the football game. I know they were very appreciative of that resource being available. So this is just a, a code modification to clarify that they have the ability again to enter the uh, uh, premises of a drinking establishment. Okay, good deal. All right. Any further discussion? I guess I was I was going to ask Ben or, or Jeff to explain the program a little bit because I had not heard of it, but um, Jeff touched on kind of the issues I had questions about as far as the, the training that these um, young folks have and and perhaps how many of them are there and it's a, like a paid position for them. It, it sounds like a great program. I, I do believe it is a paid <coughs> program. I can get those details and follow up with you. Um, I don't know how many um, there are, but... Um, um, I know they were sufficiently busy this, this first weekend, um, so I can follow up with some more details, Paul. Thank you. Okay, no, could I have a roll call, please? Cole? Yes. Dickens? Yes. Mims? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? Yes. Botchway? Yes. Motion carries 7 to 0. <clears throat> Item 9, unattended vehicle ordinance amendment. This is an ordinance amending Title IX, Motor Vehicles and Traffic, Chapter 3, Rules of the Road, Section 9, General Driving Restrictions, Subsection C, Referencing Unattended Vehicles, to allow safely parked vehicles with the motor running to be left unattended, matching state code. Could I have a motion for first consideration, please? So moved. Second. Moved by Dickens, seconded by Thomas. Discussion? Jeff, do you yeah, again, uh, this is a, a cleanup item in our code uh, that mirrors some changes that were made at the uh, state uh, level. 
Um, currently, our code prohibits vehicles from being left unattended unless their motor is completely turned off and the keys are out of the ignition. Uh, now with remote starters, it's very common for someone to start their vehicle while they are not in the vehicle. And so this just cleans that up to, again, allow for that type of, type of circumstance to occur um, and uh, mirror our ordinance, our code language with uh, the state law. Good, thanks. Any, further, any discussion from council members? Anybody in the audience want to address this? Okay, hearing none, roll call, please. Dickens? Yes. Mims? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? Yes. Botchway? Yes. Cole? Yes. Motion carries seven to zero. Item 10, rent abatement in emergencies. This is an ordinance amending Title 17 entitled Building and Housing, Chapter 5 entitled Housing Code to provide the abatement of rent in emergencies. This is first consideration. So moved. Second. Moved by Mem, second by Dickens. Discussion. Good evening, Stan. Mayor, nice Council. To Good to see you again. Um, this is one of the 15 steps that were part of the Affordable Housing Action Plan. And while this is step 15, it doesn't necessarily mean that we are done with all the steps. Um, so it deals with rent abatement for emergency situations um, where we're not actually going to vacate the property, but there's uh, substantial reasons <laughs> for us to uh, reach out and help the tenants involved. Some of the things that we wanted to highlight, uh, state code does allow for this. Uh, when we find dwellings that are not in compliance with the housing code, um, I think it's important to note that not in compliance with the, the housing code is left up to us, uh, the city officials. Uh, so we're looking for items such as uh, not providing essential services like water, sewer, electrical heat, or other health, life, safety issues or if we come across properties that are being rented without a rental permit, we're automatically going to assume that they're not in compliance with their housing code. Um, again, it's a city-initiated action uh, with notice provided to both the tenant, the landlord, uh, and if the landlord is different from the property owner, uh, that notice will be provided also. Um, from there, the, the rent abatement, the landlord cannot legally evict for non-payment of rent for the rent that was abated. <coughs> So I think that's important to note that it just deals with the rent that's being abated. If they're laid on other rents, there could be issues there, or they can't withhold the rent deposit for the rent that was abated. That's it. Any questions for Stan? Uh, has staff reached out to landlords so that they know what's going on with this? Um, no, not at this time. No, they were generally aware, you know, they were aware when we adopted the plan, they knew this was one of the strategies. Um, it's, it's a pretty straightforward code amendment, so um, we have not, but we certainly can before it uh, gets through the, uh, the final stages of the approval process. Good. I, I also hope that um, the student body uh, is aware of this ordinance. There certainly will be after this first vote tonight. Uh, and if anybody wants to speak directly to that topic we'd we'd like to know about it okay thanks Dan and, and so we anybody else want to address this topic seeing no one council discussion I'm very glad to see it it's on our affordable housing action plan as a response to the events at Rose Oaks several months ago 
And I'm really pleased to see that uh, staff has uh, moved ahead on this. If I could just reiterate one point, because I think this is really crucial to drive home, and, and Stan did mention it, but this is not a determination that the tenant can make, and we're going to have to over-communicate that. Um, if you don't feel the landlord is, is doing something that he or she should do, you need to contact us, and we need to make that determination. You should not just withhold your rental payments and assume that they will be abated and that the city will support that. It's really crucial that we make that determination. Right. Okay, hearing no further discussion, roll call, please. Mims? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? Yes. Botchway? Yes. Cole? Yes. Dickens? Yes. Motion carries seven to zero. Item uh, 11, flip the page here. Item 11, Occupant Transition Plan. This is an ordinance amending Title 18, Site Plan Review, to require notification to occupants and an occupant transition plan for any additions or alterations to a residential development with more than 12 residential units. Move first consideration. Second. Moved by Mims, seconded by Dickens. Discussion. John, uh, help this us understand is this, please. Uh, this is another item from the Affordable Housing Action Plan uh, and also follows up on comprehensive plan amendments uh, council approved several months ago. Uh, what this ordinance done is formalize requirements for occupant notification and an occupant transition plan associated with major site plans, which are projects more than 12 units in size. Uh, the ordinance has the following elements. Uh, number one, within 24 hours of a site plan submittal, the applicant is required to send written notice to all the current occupants of a development, informing them of the application, the intent to develop, the anticipated construction timeline, and project phasing. Number two, uh, the applicant shall submit an occupant transition plan uh, if there are occupants on the property. Uh, the plan must include the current number of occupants, a general description of current contractual obligations, when leasehold interest expires, and a construction timeline and phasing plan. Uh, number three, the site plan cannot be approved until the city council considers and approves the occupant transition plan. Uh, that process allows for a public forum uh, of the occupant transition plan, allows for the occupants uh, to speak in a public forum to council regarding the transition plan. In approving a transition plan, the city council may impose conditions to address the impact of redevelopment. Uh, and this is important to note, but council may not prevent the landlord or the tenant from exercising their rights under Iowa law, uh, including a decision not to renew leases, eviction for cause, uh, and imposing requirements and relocation benefits outside of the what's accounted for in the lease. Um, those are the essential elements of uh, the ordinance. Be glad to take any questions. I do have at least one, John. Sure. If I read the text of the ordinance uh, correctly, it indicates that um, for major site plans, the director of NDS or those owners of 20% or more of the property located within 200 feet of the exterior boundaries of the proposed development may request review of the site plan by the Planning and Zoning Commission and so on. 
That's correct, and that's currently in that's, the ordinance. Uh, that's what I wanted to clarify, yes. whether that's cur the current requirement it or is. a new yes. requirement. Okay, good deal. And then I wanted to make a couple suggestions, and I don't know if these suggestions would require amendment to the uh, proposed ordinance or could be done administratively. Anyhow, when we were involved with the Rose Oaks development, one of the things that stood out was that many of the residents did not read or speak English. Uh, so I'm wondering if uh, the ordinance or, or administratively we could re require that when such a circumstance exists that the owners convey the notice in the languages that are used uh, by the, the actually existing residents of the development. I don't know, Spanish, Swahili, you know, et cetera. The, and then the second thing I'm wondering about has to do with uh, the language in which the notice is written. And this sounds like an administrative thing to me, but anyhow, it, it, it'd be one thing to convey to, uh, to, the, to the residents in very sort of obtuse legalese what's involved uh, versus doing it in ordinary language that's easy for people to understand. And, and I think the latter is what's called for. So I'm just wondering about those two things. Can, can we require that the notice has to be in ordinary language? And then secondly, that it be uh, made available to in languages that the actually existing residents can read? If you're going to put the onus on the owner of the, the unit to incur costs to translate, that would be a substantial. But if you're going to put all that onus on the city to do that administratively, that, that, that we can do um, and still have first consideration. Okay. Uh, my guess is that this is, would not be a major um, uh, financial burden for the city to do, uh, but I think it's crucial to have that kind of translation. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to anticipate what those translation needs may be. Just thinking back to the, the Rose Oak situations, there was, um, I forget the number of residents, certainly several dozen, I think trying to determine which languages needed to be, um, what, what we needed to translate to and how to communicate those out. That would have been a pretty big administrative challenge for us. Um, you're right, the financial cost, this, this won't come up very frequently, and I think we could absorb the actual translations, the cost. It's more figuring out who's living there and what language do they speak, and that, that can be a big undertaking. And I think the, just the, the process of translating uh, would affect the timeliness of the notices, just to put that out there, but I think it is important. All right, so help me understand how we can handle this better then, because in the Rose Oak situation, it was a problem people did not understand what they were being notified about. And so there's a lot of confusion and that resulted in a lot of people in this room being pretty mad, at least in part that that was a consequence. So how can we avoid that? I mean, somehow people are signing leases that I'm assuming in most cases are written in English. So whether they read English or not, they're relying they're either signing without knowing what they're signing. I think that's typically what happens with mm -hmm. most renters. 
I'm just not sure how much as a city we can do. I'm... It's, yeah, if you wanted for staff to facilitate um, a translation, um, you know, I suppose it would be possible to have the uh, developer property owner notify them that translation service is available at City Hall, and then we can assist the folks that approach us, but that critical message of where they can find translation assistance, um, uh, you know, needs to be upfront and, and uh, easy to be found by the... And you'd think that would be just one page of paper that we would just have in all those, and then they'd be able to come to the city to be able to access those services. Um. <coughs> That, that's the solution that we're talking about for our community survey uh, that, that we're getting ready mm -hmm. to do. Um, mm -hmm. If you receive a survey, you can come here and we can help you. Um, we'll have to think about internally how we process that, but we do have language line and the technology and resources available to do that. Um, we just need to figure out where and who within City Hall can do that. Yeah, I, I, I think we need to have a means of doing that. And. Uh, I don't believe it means tonight that it, that I or anybody else needs to vote against the ordinance. I want to pass the ordinance, but I think administratively we need to be thinking about how to provide that or enable that kind of translation service, if necessary. You know, if it's if it's required uh, required under the actually existing circumstances. I think that's very important, Jen, because uh, thinking back to the Rose Oak situation, uh, the number of folks that um, didn't really uh, read or comprehend English very well, but they, they saw the word eviction or evict, and th that frightened them and that scared them because they didn't understand the rest of the memo or, or what it was saying. So I, I, think, it's, I think your point is, is very important. John, I, I had a question of this, this issue of Transition assistance, and this may be a Sue question or a John question or maybe an Eleanor question, I don't know. Um, but as I understood the analysis, that she viewed that as a function of the lease contract, and because we can't alter the lease contract, we can't do it. Or was it a situation where setting aside the lease, we don't have the home rule authority to require transition assistance as part of the transition plan? I'll have to um, defer to Sue on this. Do you recall what that analysis well, was? We certainly don't have the home rule authority to put a condition in the lease. We can't. Well, yeah, yeah I, we I can't that. change that relationship. I get that. And and to the extent that that we are requiring the the landlord to to pay, that's what you're talking about. Pay assistance to the tenant, right? If they're dislocated. If they're dislocated, well, that's an an issue. Uh, in the lease or just a condition of the rezoning? Yeah. Well, there, no, yeah. there wouldn't be. I mean, a condition of the site, 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 site plan, plan. Um, for the transition plan. Because um, I guess what I'm thinking yeah. of on that is that if as a condition of the major site plan, we can impose requirements to address stormwater runoff, um, other things that are going to pose a cost on the developer, as part of meeting our requirements for the site plan, if there is a human impact, um, why wouldn't we be able to then um, say as a condition of meeting what our expectations are for the human cost, 
that we could impose expectations as to what a transition plan would look like. So maybe I, I hate to put you on the spot on that, but I'm wondering whether I would like to see at least an evaluation. And I guess I didn't see in the memo whether that particular issue came up. And I know at some point there maybe was a discussion about home rule authority, because I know like for instance Seattle has it, San Francisco has it, is my understanding, and that's always a creature of state law. Um, but I would at least like to look into that um, in terms of whether we have the authority to do that. And if so, I would like to explore what that would look like. I wonder if, uh, wonder if Sue uh, and then Eleanor, when she gets back, could look into this particular question and uh, let us know what you find prior to our next meeting. Sure. Thanks. Any further discussion? Yeah, I just wanted to go back to um, your point, Jim. Um, is, is that something that uh, I do think is important? Is that something that can come back to us um, before the second reading? And I am not talking about I'm not talking about a burden on the owner, um, but the city. I'm I'm not saying that obviously it's an opportunity to make it available to come to the city, um, but I just feel like that's um, that's a lot to do um, for many people. That's a lot to do for me, and so. Um, I think that if we were able to um, propose some other solutions, I mean, just at the top of my head, I was thinking, could we extend the with the requirements of 24 hours, but maybe 48 hours for translation or something on that sense? It seemed like from Sue we would be able to do um, as long as that administrative change is on our end. We'll come back to you at the second reading with a proposed solution on the translation. Is that okay with you, Kingsley? Yes. All right. Sounds good to me. So any further discussion? I just want to quickly say this is amazing. I mean, uh, for two reasons. One, uh, for the simple fact that, um, you know, this was a huge community concern. They came to us um, in droves um, via email and in person physically and said, we need you to do something. And I feel like even though we weren't able to respond immediately, um, it is something. And I also think that this is, number two, uh, I think it's a community protection. I, I think that, frankly, you know, there were some things that we found out that happened in the Rose Oak situation that I, I believe may still happen in Iowa City now. And to have this, I, I'm actually thinking about the rent abatement of the past one as well, to have both of these ordinances in effect, I think really signals to a large part of our community that, you know, council's listening and uh, we're trying to be proactive to ensure that Things don't happen in the same way again. I agree, Kingsley, and I'm thrilled uh, that staff brought this to us. I'm really pleased to be able to move ahead on it. Uh, I think it's uh, needed and uh, a, a very good proposal before us. Any further discussion? Hearing none, roll call, please. Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? Yes. Botchway? Yes. Cole? Yes. Dickens? Yes. Mims? Yes. Motion carries 7 to 0. Item 12, announcement of vacancies. Applicants must reside in Iowa City and be 18 years of age unless specific qualifications are stated. We have two vacancies to fill unexpired terms upon appointment to the Airport Zoning Board of Adjustment, one vacancy to fill an unexpired term upon appointment to the Airport Zoning Commission, one vacancy for Jefferson Street representative to fill a three-year term on the Historic Preservation Commission, and one vacancy to fill a three-year term on the Telecommunications Commission. 
Applications must be received by 5 p.m. Tuesday, September the 12th, 2017. Item 13, community comment. Uh, I've agreed to let uh, Ben do this uh, pretty much every meeting at, at this point. So, Ben, what do you have on your mind? Yeah, thank you, Mayor. Um, as I said last time, I kind of just want to use this as an opportunity to kind of like give you all an update on what UIC has been up to um, in between our council sessions. Um, John, earlier you mentioned murals in Cincinnati. Well, I'd like to let you know that we now have murals in Iowa City. Um, UISG, they just got done with an initiative where um, various tunnels on campus, uh, they, they opened up that space to allow uh, student artists to kind of give them an area to express themselves and uh, kind of the theme of this project was to celebrate um, historically underrepresented communities um, in the student body and so the, it really is kind of a neat and intimate space when you walk through these tunnels and um, you kind of see how these communities um, think of themselves and how they want to express themselves so I would really encourage you all if you get a chance to kind of go some urban exploration through the Iowa City or University of Iowa campus and uh, kind of check that out. Um, the second thing I have is if you'll, as you go downtown and you use the restroom, um, you might see these uh, posters that the University of Iowa partnered up with uh, RVAP in the downtown district. Um, they're sexual assault resource posters, and so what they do, they have very clear definitions of what sexual assault is, what consent is, um, what it is not, and kind of various strategies to kind of intervene. And then ultimately, they have the resources for our VAP, uh, the Women's Resource and Action Center. Um, so I really would like to publicly thank the Iowa City Downtown District, our VAP, um, for their collaboration and for their willingness to let us use their space. Um, and then the last thing, uh, earlier today, the uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced that the Trump administration will be removing um, the DACA program, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, which uh, effectively gives work permits or schooling permits for um, students who are brought here um, illegally as their parents came here. Um, they grew up in the United States. They don't really know any other country than the United States. Um, so this really affects our student community, and I would kind of uh, encourage you all as a council, as individuals, to kind of reach out within your own communities, within your own networks, um, to reach out to federal legislators, encourage them to keep it, uh, keep the program, and then if there is anything that you as a city council can do, whether it be something as simple as a resolution of support for our communities, or maybe something more substantive, I don't know the, the legalities of that, um, I would really encourage you all to look into that um, as options. So. Um, but other than that, thank you very much for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. Good to see you again. All right, we'll move on to City Council information, item 14. Rockney, you want to start, please? Well, yesterday we had the Labor Day picnic, and I want to just commend City Fed for another wonderful event. It's always so fun to connect with all the different brothers and sisters in the labor movement. And, you know, obviously this community would not function um, without everyone that gets up and, and works really hard to, to make our community go. Um, so it was a really enjoyable time and uh, really, really had a good time. Beautiful day. Well, I missed the last council meeting, but I was, uh, since then, I've been in Denver, and then I was lucky enough to go to Europe. And Where'd you go? Uh, from uh, Amsterdam to Basel. And uh, what 
you find yourself doing if you've been on the council long enough is you start comparing your city to other cities <laughs> wherever you go. And uh, we're very lucky in this town that we, we care so much about uh, the ADA accessible. Because when you get to Europe, it's, a lot of it's not there. So I, I talked to Harry uh, Olmsted about this, and he says there's actually a book out that tells you what cities to avoid in Europe that don't have it. So we can always do better, but it's, it's very interesting to see. And, and in public transportation uh, in Basel, they have trains that go all over little uh, inner city that just go around the city and they discovered that they were too high for wheelchairs to get into. So all the new ones they're putting in are now lower that you can get a wheelchair on because we talked to uh, several older couples there and that was one of their biggest concerns is they don't go out because they can't get up and down stairs or the bathrooms are all in the basement of these places or the trains are too high. So the city has addressed that. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see, and as we move forward, maybe on our train service that we're looking at with North Liberty, that would be a consideration. Susan. I uh, just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the honors program and the green room. Uh, I don't know if any of you have seen or heard about it, but they're, they're running, they didn't do it this week because Labor Day, but I think the next four or five Mondays, they are having this honors class, the Green Room, at the Englert Theater. And had it last Monday, and it was Zach Walls uh, was kind of the keynote, talking a lot about poverty in the United States. He had lots of statistics, um, a lot of statistics in a short period of time. And then Chrissy Canganelli from Shelter House was talking about the Housing First project. And David Gould is the uh, instructor, professor of this, and he, I think he runs the honors program. And so he just does a lot of innovative and creative things uh, with his students. And so they have, I think it's about 80 students in the class. And so they, starting this next week, they are doing all the programming. They are in charge of everything, from greeting people as they come in to videotaping, um, introducing the keynote speaker, um, as David said, he's trying to make it like a, a rock event. They have kind of headliners, but then you've got the opening acts and, and had some music. Uh, but just wonderful, wonderful presentations um, from both Zach and Chrissy. And they've got some great people coming in the next five weeks. Um, Jane Elliott, who did the Brown Eye, Blue Eye Experience. Um, Kazir Khan, the father who spoke at the Democratic National Convention. I don't remember all the other names, but if you have an interest, look at it. It's, it's bringing the community and the university together. So it's open to the community. Um, it started at 7 o'clock. I got down here early. I was waited to walk up there at about quarter to 7. The line was all the way from the Englert up to Hertine and Stalkers. And so I just kind of stood there with Marianne Dennis waiting to see if we were even going to get in because the line was so long. I think they said they had 478 people that came. So a lot of people from the community, a lot of people associated with the university, but they really are trying to bring the community and the university together. <coughs> so they're, like I said, the next four or five, I think it's the next five Mondays, um, seven o'clock at the Englert. Um, I'm assuming there may be a number of these, and I wouldn't be surprised if the one with Khan Khan is sold out. I, and I say sold out, there's no tickets, but I wouldn't be surprised if you don't get there and get in line early that you won't get in to the, mm -hmm. to the theater. So, uh, great event. Thank you to David Gould for all he's doing. I think giving students a really innovative learning environment um, with his class. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a terrific innovation. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, on the Engler theme, I noticed that uh, on September 12th at 5.30, there will be a public event, Let's Talk About Iowa City's Historic Downtown. So that, that should be an interesting event. And from conversations we've had with, with Jeff, our consultant on the downtown inventory is generating some very interesting perspectives on historic preservation there. So that sounds like a worthwhile event. And then looking backward, uh, the downtown, Iowa City downtown district hosted an event that uh, spoke to the um, public art program. Thomas Agron made a presentation uh, which featured, among other things, the Cincinnati mural program. Uh, very interesting uh, evening. Lots of people were there. And again, it's kind of this interesting, you know, opportunity for conversations that uh, I, don't, I don't think our public art program had had something like that in quite some time. So I thought it was useful and a great start. Many people at that event thanked Thomas for, and, the, and Nancy Bird for having the event. It was very nice. Uh, I'd like to just comment on a, a memo we got from Jeff um, regarding our own Simon Andrew. <laughs> as far as I'd like to congratulate him on uh, achi his achievements, his uh, two recent uh, classes, uh, particularly the one, uh, let's see, I believe he said the title is uh, ADA the, a Coordinator, which, it, which is excellent and, and certainly needed. Um, you're talking about uh, the uh, disability things that we are concerned about already in the city, but a lot of folks don't realize that the, the population of, of disabled folks in our community, and people usually immediately think of folks in wheelchairs or walkers or, or things like that, uh, but there's, there's more to disability than that also as far as the mental health issues and behavioral issues. There, there, are, there are other disabilities out there too, and I think it's going to be very helpful, and I congratulate you on that. Uh, the other thing, I was negligent, uh, or I missed the chance to comment on, on um, your uh, discussion about your visit uh, mm. to the mayor's uh, conference, and uh, I wanted to um, just put in a plug as a healthcare professional. I, I would be interested, very interested, in uh, working together with you and any other interested parties on, on, on that opiate issue in, in Iowa City. Excellent. Uh, Jeff and I have had some preliminary conversations about following up on what I heard at that conference concerning the epidemic. So there was also a, a lengthy article in the New York Times yesterday about that directly related to that. So it's gaining increasing attention nationwide. Is that it, Pauline? Mm -hmm. Good deal. What I want to mention, I want to mention several things and then end with a question for you. So wait, wait, wait for the question. <laughs> So uh, first, uh, as you know, I wrote a public statement concerning the events in Charlottesville, Virginia, and that public statement subsequently appeared in the Press Citizen. Also, as uh, Pauline just mentioned, uh, and I'm going to say this for the public, really, uh, on August 16th through the 19th, I participated in a conference of the Mayor's Innovation Project in Burlington, Vermont, and a memo about it appeared in the late handout for tonight's meeting. So. Um, that's available online now, that memo, if anybody wants to read it? Um, no, not no. that it went out today. It will be when Julie finalizes everything. Ah, okay. Uh, next, John, Pauline, and I had a really excellent meeting with D, the Daily Iowans' terrific writing and editorial staff uh, on the 25th of August. So I, were, were you in the room that, when we had that meeting? I 
You were. You were. Well, it was a terrific meeting. Yeah, um, uh, I think we uh, we learned a lot from the conversation. I hope it was beneficial for you as well. Oh, let's see. Uh, there's going to be a council listening post at Uptown Bills on September the sixth from five thirty to seven p.m. That'd be tomorrow night. <laughs> Uh, there's going to be a retirement reception for Doug Boothroy from 7.30 to 9 a.m. on September the 11th, Monday. There's a school board election coming up and a school bond referendum on September the 12th. I certainly encourage everybody to vote. The, economic the Council's Economic Development Committee is going to be meeting on September the 15th from 3 to 4 p.m. And we're getting very close to coming up with our set of recommendations uh, to present to the full council. The World Cup Cyclocross is going to take place on September the 17th. Jeff, maybe you were going to elaborate on this. I don't know. Which leads to the one question I wanted to ask you all. Uh, I find myself thinking that we should have a section during our work session where individual council members have an opportunity to briefly report on anything that's happened in the, on the boards that they are appointed to, like the City of Literature, like ICAD, like uh, that economic, Regional Economic Development Committee, uh, like uh, Paratransit. Paratransit. Uh, and, you know, I'm not saying decide right now, but it, it seems to me that that would be pretty fruitful because as it is now, we go to these meetings and then nothing comes back to the council. So I, I think it'd be helpful to have very brief statements about any major decisions that have been made or any major topics that are coming up. That's a good idea. So I, I can bring, bring that back up for, you know, any kind of discussion next week or next meeting during our work session, and you can say yay or nay. Okay, that's enough for me. Jeff? Uh, I will just mention briefly the uh, cyclocross event um, kicks off on the uh, 14th of September and uh, I will be reaching out to council members to see if there's any volunteers to help greet the UCI uh, staff and the VIPs for the race uh, late on Thursday evening. I think they plan to get in around 9 or 9.30 in the evening. The uh, CVB is coordinating a reception. So, so what happened last year? <laughs> <laughs> We don't we don't we don't talk about what happened last year with that uh, opening Horrible kickoff. Horrible fireworks this year. <laughs> Mother Mother Nature had different ideas for uh, uh, what was going to happen that night, but um, and then the racing uh, starts on the fifteenth and goes to the weekend. It'll be a busy weekend with a, a football game in town as well. Um, so there's been a lot of planning and coordination from law enforcement, CVB, and a whole lot of other people uh, that are involved in the logistics, but. Uh, the first year was great. The second year uh, will be even better, and we're ready to put on a show. Ashley? Nothing. Thanks. Sue? Kelly? All right. Could Move I adjourn. Thank second. you. Moved by Mim, seconded by Dickens. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Aye. Motion carries. We are adjourned. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>